Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. One of the great temptations I have in this world is a big bowl full of tortilla chips. I, uh, I will usually take one or two out and leave them for the others and I'll take the bowl with me and go in the next room. I remember going to a potluck like you're going to go right after uh, at a church one time and um, as I was kind of standing in the line, as a pastor I make it a practice to go through the line at the end and eat the holy remnant that is left behind. Um, and I was kind of standing off at a distance and I saw one of the church members just all of a sudden, he kind of caught himself, and he just sneezed, a real big sneeze, right into his hand. And he didn't know anybody was watching, and he kind of looked around, and then he just wiped it off on his, <laughs> on his pants. And I was not far behind him when we finally got to the plates, and he took that hand, and he stuffed it in this great big bowl of chips. And I said, thank you, God, for curing me of my temptation to eat chips. Um, You know, I can hear Jesus say it's not what goes into a person that defiles. But we have to remember that a lot of the laws about kosher and a lot of the dietary things were not only given to the people of Israel uh, to show their fidelity to God, but also initially as a matter of hygiene, as a matter of staying healthy. This is the way to go in the world. So... Pastor Jerry alluded as he began to read the scripture that the 15th chapter of Matthew actually opens up with a confrontation. Jesus has now left the region in the north and he's beginning to make his way or he's about to make his way down into uh, Jerusalem where the latter part of his ministry will take place where he will be uh, giving his life for the world. But as he's preparing to leave the regions in the north, we have these crazy boat trips back and forth to the land of the Gerasenes and the, the tempestuous storms and the feeding of the 5,000. And we're about to leave the, the sort of pastoral scenes of the north in order to make a journey down south. And the people in Jerusalem have been hearing about Jesus, so they sent scribes and Pharisees all the way up from the south to the north precisely for the purpose of confronting Jesus and his practice of eating and drinking with sinners and, and not paying attention, playing a little loose around the edges of all of their customs. And what these visitors from the temple uh, precincts in Jerusalem had said is, you and your disciples are violating the traditions of the elders because you don't wash your hands before you eat. And thinking of that man with his hand in the chips, I was thinking, amen, wash your hands before you eat. But Jesus kind of flips the script on them. He says, you talking to me about traditions of the elders, but you have traditions of your own that are causing you to violate the commandments of God. Because you have a tradition that says, whatever you lay your hand on and say, this is korban, this is dedicated to God, then, then that cannot be used for anything else except what you have said it will be dedicated to God. 
And then your parents fall on hard times. And the commandment of God, not the tradition of the elders, but the commandment of God is to honor your father and mother, but you leave them hungry and hurting because you're keeping a tradition. So your traditions cause you to violate the very commandments of God. And these commandments of God are meant to reveal the heart of God toward his whole creation. This is how we live in community together. So Jesus gave them a very short Sunday school lesson and sent them on their way. And the disciples, beginning where Jerry, Pastor Jerry read just now, the disciples came up to Jesus and they said, you know, the scribes and the Pharisees didn't like it very much when you said that to them. <laughs> he basically accused them of fulfilling an Old Testament saying that says, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You know all the right words to say, but in your actions, they're revealing the fact that you really don't know my father at all. And he told the, the disciples, again, what you eat is on its way to the sewer. So it can't defile you because its end destination is not in a very clean place to begin with. Don't worry about what you eat. You ought to be worried about what's flowing out of your heart. And then he goes through all the lists that remind anyone who reads them of the Ten Commandments. These are the things that put us on the wrong side of God. It's what is in our heart that is causing us to be defiled, not what are we putting into our mouth, whether they be unclean hands or clean hands. You got me? And the disciples said, uh, sure, we got it, Lord. So they turned to be on their way. And Matthew drops a, a few words in the telling of the next part of the story that are clues to us about what Matthew himself must have been struggling with in the years after Jesus' resurrection. Because as Jesus is going along, a Canaanite woman, now people hadn't called them Canaanites since they entered the land years before with Abraham and Sarah. And God said, don't intermingle with these people. I'm going to set you to be a holy people apart. But it was the land of Canaan that, the, that became the promised land for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all who would follow. It was within the boundaries of the land of Canaan that David and Solomon built the temple. This was a place where the natives had been called Canaanites. And Matthew draws out this word, Canaanite, a Canaanite woman, a heathen, a pagan. She begins to cry out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Son of David, the term for a Messiah, the term for the promised one of Israel. Now, in the space of a, ha a handful of verses, please don't miss this. People all the way from Jerusalem, officials had come up to critique Jesus and tell him why he was not worthy of being Messiah. And here a Canaanite woman is calling out to him, son of David, have mercy upon me. Talk about flipping the script. But Jesus does nothing. He keeps walking, walking right on by. Doesn't even hear her. It's the disciples who have to come to Jesus and say, Lord, tell her to be quiet. Because she's kind of wearing us out here. Jesus, who spent an entire day on the other side of the lake, so full of compassion that he was just walking quietly among people who were needing healing, 
who needed a good word, who needed forgiveness, who needed grace, who needed spiritual cleansing. He walked among them, saying the right word, laying hands upon them, giving them the gift of his life for an entire day. And at the end of that day, fed them all with five loaves and two fish. This Jesus, who with a word can cause anything to come to pass, he's going to walk right on by this Canaanite woman who is crying out, Son of David, have mercy upon me. And when the disciples say to him, send her away, he turns to the disciples, not the woman, and he talks right in front of her about her, which is about the most rude thing you can do to anybody. And he says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. That's my mission. Mission focus. You hear this in workshops all the time. Churches need to be mission focused. Be mission focused. Find out what your mission is. Set the vision. Cast it out there. Get focused. Make sure all your ducks are in a line so that you can achieve the mission. And Jesus is doing this. My mission is to the lost sheep of Israel. And she confronts Jesus yet again and says, have mercy upon me. My daughter is tormented by demons. And finally, on the third try, he turns to her and says, I cannot take the children's food and give it to the dogs. Is Jesus having a bad day here? I mean, it makes sense in a certain sort of way. I have a job, I have a purpose, this is what I'm going to do. But something in what happened next, and it's almost inexplainable, something in what happened next caused Jesus to step back from his own self. He'd spent the morning arguing with scribes and Pharisees and the afternoon explaining to disciples about how it's what comes out of the heart, not the rules, not the regulations, not the structures, not the boundaries that we set up, not the things that we've tried to harden into cement to keep us apart, but it's what's flowing out of our heart that is the most important thing to my Abba, to the Father. It's what comes out of the heart, and he looks this woman in the eye, and he suddenly must have seen in his own heart a little corner of prejudice, or pride, or indifference, or whatever you want to assign. Whatever it was, she said to him, call me a dog if you want. Look, I'm not asking to be a disciple, and I don't want to sign up for your church, but my daughter is tormented by demons. Help me. And he said, you have great faith. Go, your daughter as well. Of all the gifts that Jesus could have given to me when he walked on the earth, the greatest gift is in this passage. It's the gift of being able to change your heart. The gift of being able to change your heart. Now, I know, I know, there are those who try in the scholars, I read them in their commentaries, well, Jesus knew what he was doing all along and he just wanted to make her humble before he granted her request. But I read that and it just, it's, it's just really thin gruel. I can't get any nutrition out of that. Now, what helps me in my lost state 
is the knowledge that just because I've said something in the past and I staked it down with a big stake and I built a monument around it and said, here I stand, this is what Bill believes, this is what I'll always believe, and I'm not going to move. Just because I said that once doesn't mean that the God of grace can't change my heart and show me another way. Pride is a wicked thing. We struggle with it all the time. Among all of the advices that John Wesley gave to the early Methodists, the chief among them all was be on guard against pride. This notion that the way I see the world or the things that I have are enough, that I have decided that my way of looking at the world is the only way. I'm not going to change, and I'm not going to move. Oh, in our pride, sometimes we set Jesus so far off from ourselves. Well, Jesus was Jesus. I could never be Jesus. Yes, we can. He's not only the way out of our sin, but he is in the way into the kingdom of God. Our love for Jesus is not only about what he has done for us, but our love for Christ is also about the fact that he can show us what we are meant to be. That glorious and sometimes fringe-thinking spirit of the church, Matthew Fox, once said, I sat in a seminar where people were talking about if we could only find the missing link between the apes and humans. If only we could find the missing link, and then we could trace our lineage all the way back. And Matthew Fox said, suddenly it hit me. Maybe Jesus and his followers are the missing link between primitive creatures and what God designed the humans to be. Maybe we haven't seen the evolution yet. Maybe it's still yet to come. That spiritual evolution of all of us where we no longer see Jesus as something far off that we could never attain and we see him for what he said himself he was. Someone to be followed in every way. Come and be like me. Live my way in the world. I will set the church to be an example to the world. And of all the examples that we could set in our time The one example that I think the world needs most right now, this minute, is the ability to change our heart toward others so that love prevails in every circumstance. Dr. Martin Luther King wrote about it from a Birmingham jail. You ever look at the Ten Commandments of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and what they really were asking of their people? That hatred be banished from every corner of our heart, that we not only show love or speak love or act lovingly, but that we actually develop the capacity in our own heart to love even our enemies. Remember, he said, that justice and reconciliation are our chief aim, not victory. I'm not trying to defeat people but to reveal to my enemy that whenever an enemy oppresses, it's not just the person who's the victim of that oppression, but the oppressor themselves who are enslaved. And we need to redeem even the oppressor. 
Is this too far out there today? Seems kind of like it's right down the middle in my study and in my prayers. I look through the scriptures and I see Jesus who can speak a word to cancer and make it go away. I see Jesus who can straighten bent legs and open blind eyes. I see a Jesus who can walk through the spiritual maelstrom all around us, come striding across the spiritual maelstrom. I see Jesus who has given us the vessel of the church. I see all of these things, but today, this week, I see a Jesus who shows us how to get outside the bondage of our own preconceptions and see the world from somebody else's point of view. So that we're not only supposed to love the world with Jesus' words or love the world in Jesus' name, but that we develop the capacity to love the world as Jesus loved. with no prerequisites, just the capacity for love. If Jesus could do it, we can do it. If you have enemies, we can learn to love. If you see in the other someone to be avoided, ignored, to be rationalized out of your life, to be told, look, we're the Christians, we have the answers, you're not, so get lost. If you have someone like that in your life, that you've been harboring those kind of feelings, walk with Jesus today. <laughs> look them in the eye. You're going to find out that it's a real, live human being with real hurts and real hopes and real needs. I know it seems hard. It doesn't seem possible at times that we could love an enemy like that. But as Jesus will say to Peter in just a few weeks, what seems impossible for us is possible for God. And isn't that why we've really come here today? to say, Lord, we believe this far. We have so much farther to go. Help our unbelief. Lord, you come. Take my heart. Break the bonds of my prejudice, my pride, my preconceptions. Show me the world through your eyes. And for your son's sake, change my heart again so that I can be filled with love to overflowing. Amen.